If you are new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and today we are in part two of a series called Salt and Light. And in this series, we are looking at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you, speaking to his followers, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And so we're trying to figure out what does that look like for us? What what does it look like for us to be salt and light today in our current world? And as we try to answer that question, we are looking at some big subjects facing our world today. So as Evan already mentioned, we're going to look today at the issue of human slavery and human trafficking, big problem in our world. Then next week, we're going to look at what does it look like for us to be salt and light in a sexually diverse world? Then the week after that, on Mother's Day, we're going to look at what does it look like for us to be salt and light in a politically divided world. Again, I think what a great subject for Mother's Day, right? Child dedication. And then after that, we'll look at the the issue of living in a racially tense world. And then we'll wrap up this series by talking about the cost of being salt and light. Jesus said there's a real cost to being salt and light, and we'll figure out what that cost means and whether we're really serious about being salt and light and living the way that that Jesus asked us to live. So for those of you who were with us last week, we had an introduction message. We talked about salt and light. We talked about the purpose of salt. We talked about the purpose of light. What does it look like for us to be those things? So I'm going to ask for some audience participation as we begin. So those of you who were here and didn't fall asleep and can remember what we talked about last week, what are some of the purposes of salt and light? We'll start with salt. So what are some of the purposes of salt that we talked about? So preservation, preserving meat, clears a path, flavor, adding God-honoring flavor. Okay, so we used those things, we we drew those out to say God wants us to add God-honoring flavor to life, not our flavor. Not 31 versions of me, but actually, you know, God-honoring flavor to life. So um, hopefully you were able to add some God-honoring flavor to life this past week, you know, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe at school, overflowing a life of joy and the abundant life that Jesus came to offer us. We also talked about uh, salt has a purpose of helping meat from decomposing, We looked at that as as a reality for us that we have to come out of our container. If we're going to help our culture to not decompose, we've got to come out out of our container. We have to have meaningful contact, meaningful interaction with people who don't share our faith, that don't love the God that we love. So hopefully you've had some meaningful interactions and remember that on a regular basis. Then we talked about, if you're from, from up north, we take salt, we throw it out in the winter, and it helps get rid of ice and snow. It clears unnecessary obstacles. And so for, for us as Christ followers, God wants us to clear unnecessary obstacles out of people's way so they can find God. Big, important things, purposes of salt that we need to, to remember on a regular basis. So my hope is every time you pick up that salt shaker and start shaking away, you're thinking about yourself interacting with our world. Now, we talked about the purpose of light as well. And the purpose of light is to help us see. Great. Somebody was paying attention last week. So it helps us see. And the illustration for us is that we need to help people see Jesus. So our lives should be a light 
so that other people can see Jesus. And then we asked this question last week. We asked the question, where does light work best? In darkness. Uh, So light works best in darkness. And so I challenged you and asked the question, what dark place do you need to shine your light in? So what was that dark place for you maybe this past week? It it could have been home. You know, that could be your dark place. It could, could have been work. Could have been school. Could have been some other environment. God wants us to shine our light in dark places so people can see Jesus. So we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to actually talk about shining our light in one of the darkest places in our world. And that is, again, with the issue of human slavery and human trafficking. Now, I think there is a growing awareness of that issue in our world. Uh, And I think maybe 10 years ago, a lot of us would have been like, what? Not really sure that that's going on. Like, really? Like, I I thought we did away with that many years ago. Um, but the more I talk with people, the more we see stuff on the news, the more we learn. I think there's a really growing awareness of this, even though I don't think we have a full understanding of how big of an injustice this is, how big of a problem this is. And so often we think, you know, maybe that's just some bad thing that happens around the world. It's not just some bad thing that happens around the world. It happens in our own nation, happens in our own state happens in our own backyard, happens in our own town. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be salt and light with the injustice of human trafficking and human slavery. And to help us understand this a little bit more, I'm actually going to interview a courageous survivor. And she's going to come in just a moment and share her story. But before I introduce you to her, uh, I want you to, to imagine something with me. Imagine you, on a Sunday morning, sharing dark parts of your past with a couple hundred people you don't know. How excited are you about that? I'm thinking most of us would go, no thanks, Uh, I'd rather not. So what I encourage you to do is pray for Jamie as she comes and shares her story. Pray for boldness, pray for confidence, pray pray for clarity, pray for wisdom. And beyond that, pray for us. Pray that we will hear what God wants us to hear. And pray that we will do what God wants us to do. So can we all agree to that? Awesome. Thank you. So how about we do this? Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Jamie to the stage. Okay? So let's pray. Lord, big subject for us to talk about today. And I'm so grateful for everyone who's here. Lord, I pray that we would have open ears, open hearts, open eyes. We would hear what what you want us to hear, and God, that we would do what you want us to do. And Lord, I pray for Jamie as as she speaks. I'm so grateful for her courage to, to be here to share her story. And Lord, she didn't have to do that. She could have easily said, no thanks, Um, I'd rather not. But Lord, because of her courage, I think more people are growing in awareness of this injustice, and more people are learning about what we can do to be salt and light. So Lord, I pray for us as a church family that we would leave here with a determination to be active in fighting against this injustice. So teach us today, Lord, we need to learn 
Uh, teach us. Our, our, our hearts are open. Our ears are open. We w- really want to hear from you. So guide us in this conversation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would do me a huge um, uh, uh, favor, there you go, looking for the word, and help me welcome Jamie to the stage. You ready? All right, come on. Right over here, this side. So Jamie, this is epic, at least half of epic. There's another half coming in a couple hours. Epic, this is Jamie. So we are super grateful for you coming here today and, and sharing your story and um, just excited about what God is going to do. So we're just going to dive in if you're ready. And I'm going to keep an eye on the clock for all of us and just kind of see where we are because I think that we could probably talk for hours um, and um, we're going to try not to do that because we'll have a bunch of people coming in and a bunch of folks coming out with your babies with dirty diapers. So we'll be careful with that. Um, so, Jamie, as we begin, would you help us just kind of start talking about the, the issue of, of human slavery, human trafficking, you know, just some of the information that you have about that for us. So, you know, we're all in different places in our, our knowledge and what we understand about it. Some know very little, some know a little bit more, um, but we all need to, to learn a little bit more. So can you help us out in understanding just a little bit more about that subject? Yeah. So human trafficking is a $150 billion a year industry and it affects uh, the world as a whole, but it also happens like locally and globally. And so you'll hear stories about like these huge city blocks in Calcutta, India um, that just have uh, doorway after doorway with women standing in front of them. And most of those women ended up there because their families sold them into that industry at young ages. Um, But human trafficking also happens here in America, and it looks a little bit different. And it's defined as force, fraud, or coercion for the sake of profit. So women, children, uh, boys, and men are either um, tricked into, uh, forced into, or coerced into um, doing things they don't want to do. And so that happens in sex trafficking and also happens in labor trafficking. The other thing is the word traffic. I don't know who decided to name it human trafficking because it's really, uh, this is part of the thing that fuels misconception is uh, trafficking to traffic in like legal criminal terms just means to, to deal in illegal goods. And so human trafficking is dealing in illegal goods. It doesn't mean that there's no transient element to it. So people don't have to cross borders, state borders, international borders. Um, so human trafficking happens through nationals and foreign. It, it, it doesn't have to be um, someone who was born out of here and then trafficked into the States or the other way around. Um, trafficking can happen in the home you grew up in. Um, it doesn't have to be this... Um, like moving people around, as is kind of assumed. Got you. So I'm assuming there is lots of, of misunderstanding. Um, I have that problem with my hair and my microphone every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday it's an issue, so it's okay. They understand. Yeah, um, yeah there, yeah. there. So um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this subject. So you mentioned uh, a little bit of that. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the misunderstandings of, of what human trafficking is and what it looks like even for us in the States? Yeah, so part of the, the misunderstanding is like fueled by the media. And so if you just like get on your computer and like, 
Google human trafficking, what you're going to see is this iconic uh, picture of a young white girl with a black man's hand over her face. And that's like less than 5% of human reported human trafficking cases in America are child abduction. It does happen, but it's like the rarest form of human trafficking. Um, it's really more about exploitation and traffickers looking to exploit the vulnerable. So um, it can look like um, a girl needing, not being loved at home um, and just wanting to find love. And this man very strategically, you know, um, telling her he can take care of her, he will love her, you know, and this process can go on for four months. And uh, the woman, the girl, the woman, whoever, like gets caught up into this lie. And then, you know, over time, boundaries are expanded. And then all of a sudden, she's being asked to do things she never imagined. She's wondering how she ended up there. Um, uh, a lot of times, uh, children who end up in the foster care system or uh, were in homes where trauma happened, um, a lot of times will get hooked on drugs. And then that drug addiction is exploited as well. So it can just look a whole lot of different ways. And, and really, the way it really manifests itself in America is, is prostitution. And so there's like this big disconnect. It's like human trafficking's over here, and we should feel bad for those victims. And then there's the prostitutes, and that's a word I hate using, but it's the one most people can um, easily associate with. Are, they've somehow made a choice. There's some disconnection that human trafficking is one thing and prostitution is the other thing. Um, but almost every woman who's stuck in the cycle of prostitution um, is being exploited. There's someone controlling her coming and going, um, and she didn't make a choice. And even if she isn't um, necessarily attached to a certain person, um, the, the shame, you know, um, society often shames women who have been in that situation to the point where they can't escape. There's no opportunity for them outside of that life, so they just stay stuck in it and less than 1% of human trafficking survivors in the United States make it out alive. Um, so that's big. That's huge. That's huge. Um, so talk a little bit about the difference between, we've got uh, labor slavery and we've got sex trafficking. So, so you talked about that a little bit. So what do what those two things look like? So human trafficking is like an umbrella term. Um, and so on one side of it is sex trafficking where... Um, it's forced fraud or coercion and forces someone into the commercial sex industry. And then labor trafficking, um, which I'm not here to talk about so much today, it's not my area of expertise, is, is the same kind of thing, but there's no sexual exploitation going on. And so it's um, like people working in fields, people um, working in people's homes, just different things like that. And there's like debt bondage too. And so let's say even like a refugee um, wants to get over here, they come over here and they're promised a job, they're promised a new life, they're promised a freedom from violence and oppression. And then they get over here and someone's like, well, now you owe me $10,000 and you have to work it off, you know, in a, in a soda and a beer is, you know, $10 and they just never can get out of this cycle of, of debt. So they're just taken advantage of and stuck in that spot, and, and there really never is a hope that they'll get out of that. Got you. Okay. Now, you talked about um, prostitution and trafficking, and in a, a previous conversation, you mentioned something very interesting to me about the statistics uh, between a, um, a prostitute being charged and a, 
uh, a pimp or perpetrator being charged? What, what's the tension there? I'm not sure what the um, statistic is for um, traffickers like being charged, but I know in Duval County, um, I work in an organization. This is what I do all day, every day. I, I fight um, the sex trade. And so uh, we ran some numbers with Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and um, women in Jacksonville are 400 times more likely to be arrested for selling sex than men are for buying sex. Um, and so that's another misconception is this isn't a woman's issue. Um, this isn't about going and teaching our young girls about how not to be trafficked. Um, this is an us issue. Um, this is about teaching young boys not to buy sex. Um, and that starts really early in the home about conversations around consent and then conversations around pornography. And these are not the conversations that we want to have, but we're never going to be able to in human trafficking if we don't start addressing um, the demand. Because at the end of the day, whether it happens in Calcutta or whether it happens in Jacksonville or Palm Coast, um, there wouldn't be this industry if men weren't buying sex. 99% of uh, sex buyers are men. It's a big statistic, yeah. So at some point in your journey, um, this became your story. So would you tell us a little bit about that? So at the age of 24, um, I was trafficked in Jacksonville, Florida from about February of 2013 to October of 2013. And um, I had lived just this life of tra trauma and vulnerabilities. Um, I grew up in a broken home and my, my father particularly was incredibly against religion. Um, so there was like no Jesus, there was no hope. It was just like, try really hard. And so I did, I just tried really hard and uh, they divorced and I ended up in an abusive relationship for several years. Um, and at the end of that relationship, um, you know, I, I found myself addicted to drugs and someone who I had been buying drugs from for years, who I really thought was a friend, um, uh, all of a sudden the tables turned one day and um, I was living in a van and, and he had um, a way for me not to be homeless anymore, a way for me to be okay. And, um, and I went down that path and uh, the worst thing that happened was the way society treated me. Um, I got beat up in a hotel room um, by two big guys. I was black and blue, head to toe, and I went to the hospital, and my cheekbone was fractured. And the nurse in the hospital treated me like I was the, absolutely the most disgusting um, person on the planet. She treated me inhumanely. And that was really the biggest injustice, was here I was, stuck in a cycle, um, being exploited by these men who, were, who physically harmed me. And instead of receiving love and care from the hospital, um, I was treated like absolute garbage. I was in and out. Um, they, had, they had no love for me. And um, I was sitting right back into the um, circumstances. And so there was this great intervention point where my story could have been different, um, where it could have ended right there. And instead I was treated horrifically. And that sent you right back out and, yeah. and kept you stuck uh, for a little while longer. So how did you even begin to get unstuck? What, what was the, the story of you kind of coming out of that? So um, I was arrested five times in 2013 for different charges. And the last time my mom knew something was going on, she definitely didn't have the language of trafficking, but she knew what was happening was 
was outside of my control and that something was happening to me. And so um, the last time I went to jail, she wrote a letter to the judge asking for me to receive help. And the state attorney had already decided they were going to let me out, which meant I was going right back to my trafficker. Um, and instead, I stayed in jail in a treatment program for six months. Um, and that treatment program wasn't designed to, to really deal with uh, human trafficking victims. Um, but something happened in that program. There was a woman who came in and, uh, you know, later on I found out it was through the love of Jesus, but she was different. You know, she ministered to me in a different way. She didn't have the same condemnation that other people um, had towards me. And so she would come in every week and we would do this class and, um, and, and that love really just, just poured into my heart. Um, and it was the first time I felt like I was treated like human in a really long time. So when did the word, uh, the words human trafficking, when did the, the word or the concept of you being a victim uh, become a reality? So for the first year and a half, I was out of the life, out of it. I just had a lot of self-blame and self-shame. You know, I used words like ex-prostitute. Um, I just really thought I was a bad person who had made bad choices. That was the framework I had for my life was, you know, what I grew up um, listening to was like, you just try really hard. I'm like, well, I tried really hard and this is what happened. Um, I must be at fault. And so that's what I lived with. I lived with incredible guilt and shame and I couldn't find work. I mean, uh, things were really difficult for me for that first year and a half. And um, it wasn't until I heard the story of another survivor um, and she described the same things I had been through, but she had a different word for it. She had different language. And there wasn't this self-condemnation. There wasn't this self-hate. And um, she identified as a victim of human trafficking. And even the first time I heard it, I had a really difficult time identifying because of those images that I saw in the media. I'm like, well, I wasn't held captive for long periods of time. You know, I wasn't um, chained the entire time. You know, the chains that were keeping me there were invisible. They were threats. They were violence. They were shame. Um, you know, and that wasn't the stuff that I was seeing. And so it was even a year after I heard her story that I was able to be like, oh, that was, that was me, you know, and I can start identifying them that way. Yeah. So such a complex subject with, with so many different layers and, and each situation is similar and yet different and looks different all around the world. And, and so there really is a need for us to, to grow in awareness and knowledge of what all of this looks like and not just one little pigeonhole part of it. Now, just for your purposes, we've chosen um, not to chase gory details. Um, we've chosen in our conversation... There's no need for that. Um, you see stuff on the news. You, you, maybe you've read some books that, that have some of that, that information, but we've chosen not to, to bring honor and glory to that, but to what God is doing in Jamie's life. So um, just for your understanding of that. Um, so when did God become a resource for you on your journey? So you have this, this time period of your life that, that you're stuck. Um, you've got this family background where, you know, from your dad, he's saying, uh, religion, faith, that's not a resource. Don't chase that road. Um, and so at what point does God become a, a part of your story? Yeah, this is the like real fun part. Like this is what I'm excited to share with you guys. Um, so 
when I got out of jail initially, um, and that woman was in an AA group. And so I went to, to that group, and um, through that program, I was able to kind of get this God in my understanding. And um, it was very real for me. It was the first time I had any um, real encounter with God. It wasn't—I um, had a ton of prejudice, especially um, for Christians. You know, I had— uh, one of my traffickers used to play like really loud gospel music and it was really difficult for me to hear the name of Jesus and really take it seriously. Um, and so I had this God in my understanding and he was working in my life and it, it was powerful. Um, but about a year uh, out of being out of jail, you know, I was going into this treatment center, I was mentoring other women and you know, I'm walking this girl through the same process that I walk, walk through. And I'm telling her like, hey, like this Jesus guy, you don't have to believe in him. You don't have to have anything to do with him. Like these people are crazy. And I'm just saying, I mean, I'm really making this polite up here, but I was saying some really awful things about Jesus. And um, out of nowhere, you know, a voice I had never heard before was like, you need to find out who I am before you keep telling people not to believe in me. And so I had bought this children's Bible at one point, um, uh, to give to my son. I hadn't, he wasn't in my life again yet, and um, it was going to be a Christmas present because he certainly needed Jesus, but I did not. Um, <laughs> and so I read through the New Testament in this children's Bible. I mean, and I was just blown away, like page after page, story after so story about this, about this Jesus who I had never known. Um, and that's really where my life changed. You know, I had gotten out like these chains like my physical bondage was gone i was no longer being trafficked my life had started to get stable but there was so much anger and bitterness and misunderstanding and i couldn't even accept myself you know and then the the love of jesus broke through just my my rebellion you know like that's like the good stuff like i was rejecting him and an act of rejecting him did he come down and say hey i love you get to know me and it absolutely just changed my life. And it's um, given me the ability to see myself in a different light. And it's given me the ability to see other women in a different light, you know? And now I get to be a resource for, for women who don't understand what they went through. Um, I get to carry the message of Jesus to them. I get to be this vessel of salt and light who demands the truth, you know? Um, and who, who speaks against the misconceptions and speaks against the self-shame that women are carrying themselves in. So now you are one of those Jesus freaks. Yeah, now I am. Welcome to the club. Yeah. So on your journey of getting to know God, um, what do you think God thinks about this subject? Yeah, um, you know, I, I went through this, this process um, and just like looking back on my life, you know, just really angry that no one had ever told me about Jesus. I mean, there was this aspect of I had been trafficked, but looking even further back, like why wasn't that ever operative in my life, you know? And for me, that was, uh, looking at it was like a huge injustice. Like why didn't anybody ever tell me, you know? I'm, I have everything in my life now. I had nothing before. Um, 
and, and through that looking back too, just like seeing like how brokenhearted like God is over this and then how God is heartbroken over um, just even the church and their reaction to it. Um, you know, the way I was treated, the, one of the biggest injustices that I stand against is the way we treat victims who are currently being exploited and, and uh, men and women who are trying to start over and we're not giving them second chances. We're labeling them this, you know, and there are hard stuff. There's hard stuff going on in those women's lives. You know, a lot of them are, you know, still sexually active once they get out. A lot of them have had abortions. There's these hard things that Christians have a hard time processing. And um, I've just seen women rejected um, because of the things they've had in their past. And I think, um, so yeah, there's this heartbreak over uh, men buying sex. There's this heartbreak over women being forced to, to sell sex. There's this heartbreak over uh, traffickers, but I think the the way the church handles it and um, the rejecting of these women when, once they want to come to know Jesus or once they need help is um, the biggest injustice, um, and it's the one we have the most power to fight against. Right, right. Um, so there's a lot that that we can do, even in those moments that we're not sure what we what we can do. Um, can you bring up um, Proverbs 24 for a second? Okay, so listen to this. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts, and he sees you. And he who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. I think this, this fits well in the context of this. I, I don't think that we can say, well, I, I didn't know what to do, so I, I didn't do anything about somebody that was stuck in this kind of, of, of life situation. We can't say that. Um, there are things that we can do, even though many times we're like, what do we do? Like, what? I think that's the big problem for us as Christ followers is, is we get to a spot where we go, I don't know what to do. Um, so what are some things that we can do um, as we are trying to be salt and light in a subject that many of us don't have enough information, don't feel equipped, don't feel qualified. Um, it feels like it's this huge, evil, ugly monster that uh, we don't know how to fight. So what are some more things that we can do? Yeah. Um, and there's no need to pull this up, but in, in Romans 5, 20 through 21, it talks about where, where sin increased, um, grace increases all the more. And, and so you look at $150 billion a year, that's a lot of money. Like, how am I, as an individual, as even a group of a few hundred members, going to be able to do anything to touch that? And just, you know, fixing, um, fixing my eyes on Jesus and just knowing that, like, he can give me the power um, to, to make a change in someone's life. It started off with a woman who came into the jail who loved differently, who actually did love. You know, she bought something differently, different into that, that equation and it changed things. Um, so wherever there's sin, there's just more grace. And so I just, in, in the field I work in it and what I do and with my life, like I have to know that I, I'm seeing all these wicked, terrible things, that there is more grace. Um, there's always more grace. Uh, you know, and so there was this woman, um, uh, you know, we were uh, sexually exploited together. We ended up in jail together. She got out before I did, ended up right back in. And then I got out and I stayed out. And so for the last three years of my life, 
Um, I've just been able to minister to her. You know, it's, I've visited her in jail. I've written her letters in jail. Um, for the first year I was out of jail, I worked in housekeeping. I'd run into her at the hotel that I was doing housekeeping at. And so all these encounters with this woman, and she's still stuck. Um, so it's just a, this uh, pursuit of her. It's this radical pursuit of her that, that God has made me a part of. And so over the last three years, any opportunity I've had just to love her has been there. And it's hard. You know, the last time I saw her um, was at a hospital. She had just had the third baby she gave up for adoption, you know, and to enter into that suffering, to enter into that place with her where, I mean, she is just falling apart. She hates herself so much, and just to say, hey, you are so loved. I love you just like this, you know, and to try to hold it together and, and then to leave the hospital knowing that nothing has changed. None of her circumstances have changed, but she has felt the love of God, you know, in that moment, and just to cry, you know, in my car. You know, I can't even drive yet. I'm just crying so hard. And so for me, you know, someone who's educated on this topic, you know, it's just about this radical pursuit of people. You know, it's about mentoring women. It's about giving second chances. It's about looking past someone's sin and seeing them, um, the human that they are, and, and seeing, you know, any person you've ever made eye contact with, no matter what situation they're in, is loved so greatly like Jesus, and we have to love that way. And so you could start a nonprofit. You can start up a safe house. There's a ton of work that needs to be done in the anti-trafficking movement, but you can just love radically. I mean, that's the biggest thing, and just pursue people when they're placed in front of you. Um, and, and just to talk about this thing. Um, that's, the, that's the best that we can do, is, is just meet people where they're at and just love them, you know? And you know, the hope is that they fall in love with Jesus and it changes their life. That's great. So I'm hearing some things from you. So uh, some awareness, growing awareness for us, uh, learning more and more about the subject, um, not having uh, a prejudice or, or, or a quick judgment about someone. Um, and I know that none of us do that, right? <laughs> yeah, a little facetious there. Um, so we all do that. Um, we all have a tendency to see somebody judge them quickly. Um, and, you know, you might see someone standing on the side of the road, road holding a sign asking for money or see someone you think, oh, that's a lifestyle that they chose. Well, maybe not. Maybe they didn't choose that. Maybe they're, they got stuck in, in something and maybe they need that grace that, that you're talking about for us to, to reach out. Um, you'd mentioned something earlier about pornography mm -hmm. and, um, and men. Mm -hmm. So yeah. speak to the men here for a moment. Like, what can we do? Uh, this is something that, that, that aches our heart, but what can we do? as men. Yeah. So without men, like I said, we can't end trafficking. And so it, it starts, um, the, the pathway to buying sex starts with pornography. And so men who are caught up in pornography addiction, um, it can escalate just like any other addiction into buying sex. And so in the church, you know, if the men in the church would just stop watching pornography, if the men in the church would just stop buying sex, we would make a huge impact on this world. And so it's just holding each other accountable in your men's groups. It's being honest about where you're at. You know, um, there's a system in place. There's a system in place to eat you alive. The enemy has come to kill, still, and destroy. And he is going after our men in this kind of way. 
You know, it's, it's, it's horrific. And so if, if you're having an issue with pornography, talk about it. Talk to other men about it. If you're having an issue buying sex, talk to other men about it. Um, the only way to address this is to pull it out of the darkness and into the light. And, and that in itself would have a great impact on ending human trafficking if the men in our church would just hold each other accountable and seek help when they're having struggles. That's great encouragement. So yeah, just again, guys, um, uh, pornography is not a harmless uh, uh, practice or habit uh, or personal hobby. It is a very harmful thing. And any time a man or woman uh, engages the consumption of pornography, we are reinforcing this evil in our world of trafficking um, that holds people in that spot. And it's as if we're a part of it. Um, so I think a piece of that is us standing up and going, you know, I, I'm not involved in that. I, I don't do that. Um, can you imagine somebody at work, you know, pulling out their phone saying, hey, look, check this out. And you going, no thanks. Let me tell you why no thanks. Because that could be a, a trafficking victim. I'm not reinforcing that. I'm standing to fight it. Um, and then in that moment, we can bring awareness of, of this issue and hopefully draw in some more allies uh, in that to help us fight that as well. Now, Jamie, why is it so difficult to help trafficking victims? Um, it seems like it's, it's so complex and, and so hard. And, you know, as I first started learning about this, I thought, man, wouldn't it just be great? And I think, you know, most of us would, would agree with this. You know, if we saw a situation uh, where this was going on uh, or at a hotel, you know, we were at, like, we'd kick a door down and, you know, be the superhero, rescue them in the moment, you know, put the bad guy in jail or put the bad guy out or something. Um, sorry, that was just a personal thing. That was not from God, okay? That was just Trent speaking in that moment. So, you know, we would want to respond that way, um, but it's way more complicated than that. So why is it so difficult to, to help a, a trafficking victim? Yeah, you know, I, trauma is a big deal, and so most women who end up in trafficking have already lived lives of complex trauma, of different abuses, psychological, physical, sexual abuse, um, 75% of women who end up in the sex trade were abused as children, sexually abused as children um, in America. So those are big statistics. Um, and so when a woman does escape sex trafficking, um, you know, that whole like rescue thing doesn't happen very often. Um, but when a woman does escape her trafficker, um, the, so there's not the systems in place to be ready to process um, what she's been through. And so um, there's like treatment centers and there's different places that a woman can go, but they're not trauma-informed. A lot of them are reinforcing the same lies that their traffickers have told them. Um, I know for me, when I went to jail, I was bottom of the rung. If you had been in prostitution in jail, then you are the lowest of the low. I was the lowest of the low on the streets and then I was the lowest of the low in jail. And there wasn't, and that came from the counselors, that came from the COs. Um, everybody in that, that system um, had that view of me. And so when I came out, it was, I'm a bad person who, who made bad choices. And that's really difficult to fight. And it, it, it took me a year to seek services. Um, and so now I'm in counseling 
Um, and I, I work for this organization whose sole purpose is to um, give women who have been trafficked employment. And so that was the only way I was able to find viable employment was because a nonprofit existed to, to be able to process that. So it's very difficult for survivors to find counselors and therapists who are understanding of this complex issue and the traumas. Um, it's, it's difficult to find churches to go to where um, uh, these women are accepted. And so the difficulty comes from society's perception um, that these women are just ex-prostitutes and you know, um, aren't victims and need services. Uh, and then just the psychological damage, you know, women are still going through and processing, you know, PTSD is real, you know, um, a lot of women have a hard time keeping a job. Um, and so we're getting better, you know, the services that we have for women are getting better. The justice system is getting better. We are getting there, um, but it's just taken time uh, for that to happen and it starts I, like I said, I feel like the churches um, can have the biggest influence on this where in our own workplaces, you know, uh, just in our daily lives, we can have a different perspective. So kind of a silly question, but do you think this is a beatable thing? <laughs> where sin increase, grace increases all the more. I mean, um, I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime, you know, and I don't necessarily think my, my child will see it in his lifetime. Um, we can definitely have a great effect though. Um, and, you know, just having impact in the lives of survivors is a big deal, you know, and in the men, um, the lives of traffickers, the lives of buyers um, and the women, you know, all these, all these, they're all individuals, you know, with stories. Um, and so we, we're supposed to set the prisoners free, you know? And so if a trafficker is trafficking women, if a, someone's buying sex, if a woman is selling sex, they are trapped, they are a prisoner and they need to be set free. And so um, maybe, you know, seeing the end of human trafficking is, is pretty lofty and it's um, something I'm sure that God can handle and will handle um, uh, in his own timing. Um, but our job is to love people and, and to set them free here on earth today, so. So speak directly to someone here today who might be thinking, oh, maybe I'm stuck in something I wasn't even aware of. You know, I have, I have friends who, who didn't identify for a long time. There's, there's women who I know who were 10, 10 years out of it before they were able to have the language to say, this happened to me. And... Um, you know, for someone who's caught up in this, for a woman who's caught up in this, um, I would say that there's hope. And I would beg for you to find someone to talk to about it. Um, there are services. Today, I would say, come talk to me. And um, uh, there are a ton of services. And Jacksonville is rich in all sorts of different services for women. And uh, if you name it, we have it. Um, and we can get you into the right place. Awesome, awesome. Um, would you spend just a moment telling us about ReThread? Okay, so the organization I work for uh, is up in Jacksonville, and our sole purpose is to provide uh, employment for survivors of sex trafficking. And that looks uh, a little bit different for each survivor, but women come in about six months clean and sober, usually out of a program, and um, come in and start working and making products. So we make survivor-made goods, we make scarves, bracelets, all sorts of different things um, 
in Jacksonville by survivors in Jacksonville. And there's currently 12 women working there right now. And they've employed 30 women in the last five years. Um, and I work in marketing. And so uh, each woman is like accessed on her ability and her desires and where she wants to go in the company. And so it's not just women coming in and making products, it's women given real career opportunities. So I'm the marketing coordinator. I could go be the marketing coordinator at another company um, just with the skills and the know-how that I have of what it means to be a marketer. So. Um, I've also gotten the ability to do a lot of public speaking. Um, this is uh, one of my favorite things to do, especially at a church. So um, I really love to raise awareness. Um, yeah. Well, w would you all help me thank Jamie for sharing parts of her story with us? So thank you so much for being here today. And um, just a few closing comments for us. There are some real things that we can do personally. Um, I know it feels like, man, that is a big dark thing that we're not sure that we can even begin to attack. But there are things that we can do personally for us. Change a, pr a perspective, grow awareness. You know, for, for us, if, if pornography is an issue, we can attack that there on a personal level and help other people attack that in, in their, their lives. As we keep our eyes open around us and interact with people, you may work with someone who, who's, who's stuck in something like this. Um, you may go to school with someone who, who's, who's stuck there. So keeping your eyes alert, your ears alert, your, your heart sensitive to God, saying, God, guide me in this journey. And if I sense something is not quite right in somebody, let me take that conversation further. Let me pursue them. Let me, let me see if I can, can help them maybe understand what, what's going on in their world if they're stuck in something that, that is, is even similar to this. There's a lot that we can do in a personal level. So we've got at our Connection Center a spiritual growth challenge. And on that challenge, we've got some great resources there, some books, some websites that you can check out. I strongly encourage you to pick one of those up before you leave. Um, I read two of those resources, two books this week, mesmerized, captured, couldn't put them down. And for me to finish a book in a month is supernatural. So two books in a week is uh, divine. So um, I strongly recommend that you get some resources and do that. Um, Jamie and I are going to be up front here in, in just a minute. So if you um, have a, a question you'd like to ask her or uh, you'd like to ask her for prayer or just give her some encouragement, I invite you to come up and do that. Um, so we'll do that in just a moment. Um, just a couple of quick reminders. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be salt and light in a sexually diverse world. And then this afternoon, we're going to have our picnic. So I hope you'll come for that. Bring chairs, bring your dinner, bring your tennis shoes, um, bring some um, Ben Gay, because uh, we're going to play some Guatemalan dodgeball. It's going to be fun. All right, so Jamie, um, how can we pray for you? Yeah. Um, can you go ahead and put up Hebrews 12, 1 through 3? Thanks. Um, I just want to read this and I want this for like me, but I also want this for you guys um, because this is a challenging topic. This is a big thing that 
you know, we may not see the end of in our lifetime. And uh, Hebrews 12 through 1, 3 is just a lot of encouragement. And it just reminds me um, where the source, um, where I need to be focusing on. Um, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that's my prayer for, for you guys and that's prayer myself that I will not grow weary and lose heart, that um, I continue to be able to share my testimony and um, just bring light and salt to this, to this topic. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. So uh, here's how we're going to end today. Uh, we are going to pray for Jamie, and then Jamie is going to pray for us. Okay? So um, if you would, let's all pray together. I'm going to come on this side, Jamie, and uh, pray for you. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful for, for Jamie and her boldness and her courage. She could have easily said, uh, this is something that happened to me. I'm never talking about it. Uh, I'm certainly not going to sit on stage somewhere and uh, talk to a bunch of people I don't know. So Lord, I'm grateful that she didn't choose that. I'm grateful to know that you continue to use her and her story of redemption, of you stepping in to rescue her through a children's Bible. And the transformation that's happened in her through a personal relationship with you. And Lord, now she is still in the fight. She hasn't turned her back on that. She's still in the fight. And so Lord, we pray for her that she will not grow weary. We pray that you would give her boldness and discernment and wisdom and protection as she continues to fight that fight. Lord, we, we pray for the energy for her as she... Um, as she runs this race, Lord, continue to give her uh, supernatural physical resources for that and guide her on this journey. Lord, we, we pray that she would be able to help more and more people understand that those, those chains that can't be seen that hold them can be broken and they can experience freedom in you. So Lord, continue to encourage her, continue to strengthen her. And Lord, I pray that as she goes home today, she knows how much... Uh, we appreciate her and how much you love her. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you would do us the honor yeah. of praying for us. Yeah, I'm going to stand. All right. Um, hey, Jesus, I just thank you for this church. Um, I thank you for the, the men and women who work hard to, to set up this middle school each week and um, just do it all in uh, your glory, Father, that... Um, that people come to know you. I pray that, that everyone here just has an open heart and open ears and eyes to see um, just your goodness, um, whatever darkness that they're facing. I just pray that they're able to see your goodness through it, that, that you can break any walls, that you can tear down any rebellion or rejection that, that stands in our heart against you. And um, yeah, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the church. I just pray that each person leave here knowing 
just more about you, Jesus, more about your love and your grace. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Everybody, thank you so much for being here today. Jamie and I will be right down front if you'd like to come up and talk. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.